Join me in Matthew 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Wow, they still even put the water up here. Some things never change. Thank you for our tech team and the worship team this morning. Um, I was in a lot of churches. One of the hardest things was to not be here on Sundays. And after I got physically able to get up and get out of bed and all of that, I would attend uh, primarily two different churches that are up there near where we live. And it was just so good to get reacquainted with being a Christian and not a leader, not a servant. It took me like three weeks Uh, actually probably more like a month and a half, to be in church services and and not twitch because I'm I'm sitting there thinking is that my leader instinct is that could be done differently, that could be done better, this needs to happen, this needs to happen. And and, and it was like the Lord would just be like, little fellow, why don't you calm down? You're not in charge here. And so finally I eased into just being a Christian and was able just to recognize um, how often I, I won't speak for you, but how often I've taken for granted the fact, the, the privilege of gathering the privilege of coming together, the privilege of worshiping and singing and receiving ministry from people that have been consecrated and poured themselves out in worship and intercession and prayer and all the things that go into um, making our gatherings, um, you know, consecrated unto the Lord. And to be back here today for me just feels like a homecoming. And I remember the first time I walked into this building in 2008, and we were moving up here from Duluth, and I remember looking in here, and I knew immediately in this room that there was destiny on this room for my life, and I I, I remember standing, and everything was torn apart. As a matter of fact, when you talk about different little converging tributaries, IHOP Atlanta had been in this building right before we bought it. They were renting space or using it for worship gatherings. And so all the crisscrossing paths, even back then, long before I knew Billy and the people of IHOP, the Lord was working things. And one of the things that I knew is that destinies and and purposes and callings and deliverances and salvations and healings and marriages and all sorts of glorious kingdom things were going to take place in this room. And it killed me to not be able to be in here. Now, God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. God doesn't need a room. This room can't contain God. You know, we sing all the time, Lord, we want the Shekinah glory. Actually, you don't. Because you will die if the Shekinah glory comes in its fullness. We just want a little taste of it. And so to be in the room in his presence, uh, I've missed it. And I've missed you and I'm just so glad to be back. And I'm, I've got a little bit of a reputation for being a long-winded preacher. And I'm not promising you anything about after today. But today, I'm not going to be the long-winded guy. I really just want to share three what I believe are prophetic um, pursuits that we need to say yes to individually for 2021 and as a house, um, as a spiritual family. And even if you're not formally part of this spiritual family, just wherever you're connected, I'm just going to ask that you consider what we share from um, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not doing the Beatitudes this morning. I'm really going to be in verses 13 through 16, but I'm going to give you three words. And I don't know that we're going to get through all of this, but here's the three words that I want you to think of as we approach 2021. And they've been literally swirling in my heart since November 16th in a time of prayer in my den The Lord downloaded these into me and he started speaking to me and preaching to me about my need to embrace these words as kind of the initial launch pad for 2021. And the words are consecration. Will you say that with me? Consecration. Illumination. Will you say that? Illumination. 
and elevation. Consecration, illumination, and elevation. And let me tell you where I've seen a lot of um, a lot of the body of Christ. Let me tell you what we've often done. We say with a token nod, consecration. Say with another token nod, illumination. And we say, come on, elevation. We nod at consecration and run after elevation. And I'm going to tell you the kind of elevation that is going to be necessary in us as the body of Christ as we move into unknown cultural territory. In this year, and I believe you'll see within months, major shifts. You're going to see some explosive things on the cultural landscape here in the United States And you're going to immediately understand that some components of the divergence between the culture and the church, they're they're going to split in such a significant way that you will recognize there will never be a rejoining. The culture and the church are divorced and they're not getting back together. So Jeff, what are you talking about? There was a time when the culture and the church were, were integrated together. Before the church had forfeited and abdicated her influence, the culture was deeply shaped by the church. And those days are gone. But what's happened is we've both kind of tolerated each other. We've been separated, but we haven't been divorced. And I want to tell you, listen to me. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, come Holy Spirit. The divorce papers have been signed. The culture and the church will never do the wedding dance together again. But that does not mean that we have ebbed and flowed on our mandate and our assignment from heaven. As a matter of fact, because of the distinction, the diversion, the the divergence between the church and the culture, the Lord is calling us now to be the church at a level that we haven't been in a very, very long time. And that's where the word consecration comes from, and it may be the only word that we get through today. So in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 13, here's some very familiar words from the mouth of the Son of God. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Consecration. You are the salt of the earth. Illumination. You are the light of the world. Elevation. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. As we think of these three words, I want you to process this individually. I want you to say, as an individual son or daughter of God, I want you to say, Lord, what does it mean for me to consecrate myself unto you? Unto who you are? Unto what you've said? Unto what you are saying? Unto what you've done? Unto what you are doing and what you're going to do? Lord, what does it mean for me as a daughter of God, me as a son of God, to consecrate myself? 
And then I want us to think across the house, this, this uh, I love what Dustin uses, when Dustin wants to describe something that doesn't quite have a clear definition or isn't widely understood by people, he calls it an aardvark. An aardvark is a strange animal, and sometimes when we look at our spiritual family, a Baptist church merging with an Assemblies God church, merging with a prayer, global prayer movement, you take a step back and you say, that's not being done anywhere else. It's a bit of an aardvark. But it's a lovely aardvark because the Lord has orchestrated this thing. But here's the thing. In this aardvark called IHOP Atlanta and Newbridge Church, what does it mean for us to be consecrated, to be illuminated? and to be elevated in this season. And then, if we're going to take it further, because Jesus does, he doesn't keep it the light in the house. He, said, he amplifies it, and he says, you're a light unto the world. What does it mean for us as a spiritual family to connect and to radiate into the world, into our community, into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our places of business, into our homes, into our families, and then across oceans through task missions. Can you believe, I can believe it, $76,000 taken up in a couple of weeks to get the gospel to nations that don't know the name of Jesus. What does it mean for us to be consecrated, illuminated, and elevated to the extent that it'll keep making an impact across the world? So when I hear the word consecration, Back in the day, I would think of stained glass windows, marble figurines, some really old, bored, kind of dusty-looking white guy bowing his head, and just, this is consecration. It's this kind of moldy, kind of stale, kind of somber, just right up to the edge of it being a funeral, but not quite a funeral. My ideas of consecration involved some kind of external appearance of, of what it meant to be pious or reverent or holy. And then when I got a little deeper into the kingdom of God, I went through a season where I thought consecration is about me and as many people as I can either influence or manipulate or lead or whatever it is. How can I get them to obey a long set of rules to prove that we really belong to God? So consecration for me in a season took on a form of legalism. Now God delivered me out of that. I, I say frequently that I got saved twice. I got saved out of my sin, and then I got saved out of legalism. But in those legalistic years, I didn't know what consecration is. And so when we come to this issue where Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, and there are lots of things. I've preached this passage more times than I can count, and I'm, I'm sticking to the one thing Jesus said in the context today. He doesn't talk about salt as a preservative. There's nothing wrong with talking about that, because salt in his day was a preservative. He doesn't talk about the medicinal value of salt in his day because that was also a part of the way they used salt. Salt was actually a, a, a commodity. People were paid with salt. Sometimes the Roman soldiers would get their paycheck in salt. If you've ever heard anybody say that person's not worth their salt, that's where that came from. It means they aren't worth what they're getting or receiving. And so I could go down all those roads, but this is what Jesus said. Jesus talked about salt and its flavor. He talked about it as an ingredient that added flavor, and he asked the question, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? This is what it means to be a consecrated church. I want you to think with me right now. Um, sodium chloride, the chemical compound name, NaCl for, for salt, it never stops being salt. Salt is salt. Chemically speaking, it never changes. So in what sense does salt lose its taste? Salt loses its taste through two primary things. The effect of salt when it comes to taste, two primary things. The first one is contamination. 
Jesus says, you're the salt of the world and then, or salt of the earth. And then he adds this phrase that is, it lingers as a bit of a warning. He says, but don't lose your flavor. You're the salt of the earth, but don't lose the very thing for which you have been made. And he speaks of the savor, the flavor, the saltiness. And in Jesus' day, they would pour out the water, pull out the water from the Dead Sea. They would bring the salt out of it. As the water evaporated, salt would be left. They would store up salt in storehouses. They stored quite a bit of salt in the temple. And there were various uses for salt. But the reason why salt sometimes got thrown out was because it had been contaminated. It would be mingled with dirt. Other times, the second way that salt loses its flavor is that it becomes diluted because of all the other flavors that are added to the food. And so we've got this picture here that I want to release with you about your life. Because I'm not talking about the, the cooking channel. I laid in bed for a, a, a long time this summer and I came, became very acquainted with the food channel. I couldn't eat for 46 days. Got no credit for fasting. It was 46 days that I could not eat solid food. You ever been on a fast that long? I've never fasted a 40-day fast, but I did 46 involuntary days this summer getting no spiritual credit for it. And I laid in bed, and I would watch the Food Channel, and I got very familiar with cooking and cuisine, and I made a long list of all the things I was going to eat when I was able to eat again, and I'm about a third of the way through that list. Pray for me. i got a little ways to go. But I'm not talking to you about food this morning. I'm talking about your consecration. I'm talking about my consecration. I'm talking about our consecration. There are no real imperatives, commands, in this passage of Scripture. They're what we call indicatives. Jesus is saying, this is what you are. He's not commanding you, be salt. He's saying, no, you, you are salt. And as a matter of fact, in the Greek language, it's emphatic. In the Greek language, this is how it could be interpreted if we wanted to stretch it out and amplify it. He's saying to his followers, only you, plural, are the salt of the earth. Only you are the light of the world. Only you are the city that is set on the hill that cannot be hidden. Immediately, Jesus is grabbing the attention of his original audience, and he's saying this, I'm making this about you because you're a reflection of me. And I want you to know that I have made you salt. And there's a danger that you can lose your saltiness. You can lose your flavor. You can lose the very thing for which God has designed you. And one of the ways is contamination. So you don't mind if I just meddle for a minute, do you? Because I'm talking about marching from this first Sunday in 2021 into whatever he has. And everybody that's reflective, some of you are just not reflective, but everybody has, that has that reflective instinct has thought about the year past. We're at a marker and are thinking about the year future. But the year won't be any different if we're not any different. In the most substantial things that our hearts, our soul, our spirit longs for, nothing will change if we don't change. And so as the culture, and I'll just say this without apology, the culture will intensify in certain areas and there will be an intensification of darkness. It will become more aggressive. There is a rise in the agency of witchcraft that is happening right now where literal witches in the United States of America are showing up in houses of worship in our region, in our city, in metro Atlanta, 
And by the way, while I'm at it, in the name of Jesus, if you carry the spirit of witchcraft, you are exposed and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ against you. You're not welcome here. The throne of Jesus Christ is exalted in this house and he will expose you and it will manifest and we'll deal with that when the time comes. But this is what I'm saying for today. The darkness is going to increase. And last year's consecration in certain ways is not going to cut it for the upcoming year. Why? Because the warfare is going to go up a notch. Say, so Jeff, what are you talking about? Well, I'm only going to talk for a few more minutes. We are not probably going to get to illumination, maybe elevation, but just bear with me here. We're fasting tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday, not because it's on the calendar. It's on the calendar because it's on God's uh, callings for us as a spiritual family and to consecrate our lives, to consecrate our hearts, to consecrate our minds, to consecrate our wills. We cancel everything as far as the staff is concerned in order to make sure that we are aligning ourselves in a posture of humility, a posture of dependence, saying no to physical pleasures of food so that we can say yes to the pleasures of the Lord. So that we are clear-minded, clear-headed, weak in our flesh, depending on nothing other than God's sustaining strength. Why do we consecrate days like that? Because we are aware that we need it in the present and we're aware that we're going to need it even more in the future. The contamination in our lives. You need to hear me on this. The Holy Spirit is calling some of you to a level of consecration that is going to change your lifestyle. That's going to take it from the theological realm and it's going to bring it into the shoe leather realm where you're going to walk it out. I, I promise you this, the Lord is going to go after little things in our heart that maybe scripturally speaking, there's not a Bible verse against them, but the Lord is saying that thing may not be a moral no-no, but it is something that is getting in the way of what I want to do in your life. For some of you, it'll be activities and hobbies. For others of you, it will be relationships. For some of you, it will be indulgences that you allow yourself in moderation, but God is going to call you to a Nazarite level of living, and he's going to say, what was okay in 2020 won't do it for 2021. Now, that's between you and him. That's not up for any pastor or preacher or leader or anybody to legislate on you. I'm just telling you, when he starts speaking to you on that level, listen. Listen. For others of us, it could be entertainment sources and things that we allow to get in. I want you to think about everything in life has a desire to get in you and remain in you. We are constantly flavoring ourselves, and Jesus says, I want that salt to remain distinct. Because he says, only you are the salt of the earth. Um, I... I know in the natural that salt is not good for the body. I get that. Uh, high blood pressure. But I, I thought about this. I, I, I feel like the Lord is calling us out of low-sodium Christianity. That, that he's literally saying, I don't want you to dabble in me anymore. I want you, if you've made up your soul about it, I want you to make up your mind about it. If you're, if you're cer uh, certain in your soul that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody experiences the Father except through Him, don't make that about punching your ticket to heaven. Make that about waking up on Monday and determining how you're going to live your life. 
Because friends, this is the season where I believe that God is inviting us to step into a level of consecrated living that um, to those that don't know him, they may even say, well, you don't have to do that. You don't have to live that way. I, I, I'm very much a grace guy. I'm not a legalist. Uh, I've been there. I got the t-shirt and I burned it. I used to be that guy. This is not about legalism. This is about, let me put it in the, in the, in the context of a marriage. And we got little kids in here, so I'm going to keep it G-rated. But how intimate is too intimate with your spouse? When a spouse comes together with his or her spouse, a husband and a wife, when they come together physically in that beautiful design that God has given only to a husband and a wife, you can't get any closer than that to the extent where Jesus, or to the extent where the Father says, the two have become one flesh. And if we will bring that into the bridal paradigm, anything that draws you closer to the Lord, anything that invites you to press in, anything that increases that intimacy. And I'm going to tell you, in the marriage, there are certain things you're not going to allow to get in between the intimacy of you and your spouse. No other people are allowed. Anything that dampens the marital intimacy is an enemy of that marriage. Anything that dampens the spiritual intimacy between us and our Lord is an enemy to that, that relationship that we have. So God reserves the right to be very creative concerning what he calls you into and what he calls you out of. And by the way, a word to my zealous, my zealous friends. Um, he may not tell others to come out of what he's telling you to come out of. So it's not, it's not up to you to get the word and say, well, God has called me out of this. I'm going to make sure everybody else is getting out of it too. Because that's not your assignment. We, we've, got to, we've got to allow for that reality and, 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 and welcome God to be as creative with others as he is with you. But there are, I'm, I'm going to be bold here. There are some things that we have compromised on in the body of Christ in recent years that God is saying no more. And I, I think of it in so many different terms. I don't have time to go into it today. I am preaching a message, Lord willing, on consecration, on uh, a series on consecration and callings beginning in a couple of weeks on Wednesdays. But for today, I just want you to hear this. Just ask yourself this question and invite the Lord to help you answer. Lord, what does it mean for me to become as consecrated as you want me to be as we enter into this new year? Briefly, the second word, illumination. To be an illuminated church, Jesus says this, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they light a lamp, a candle or a lantern, and they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. And then he, gives, he does, he gives a, a command here. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is here giving this commandment that has actually got a little tension on it. Because we're not to parade our good works. Didn't he indict the Pharisees for making long prayers in public and, and you know, blowing a trumpet before they gave their Sunday offering, so to speak? Didn't he tell them to, to operate in secret devotion under the Lord? So is Jesus saying one thing here and another thing here? No, he's talking about as we are living. Remember, he's already said, you are light. Light doesn't have to try to shine. Its very nature is that it illuminates. And so what he's saying, he's saying, be the person I've made you. 
Don't do anything in your life that would equate to a dimmer switch being put on the light of the glory of God in your life. Sin is the dimmer switch, by the way, that that just turns down the, the glory and the power and the presence of God in your life. What Jesus is saying is nobody in their right mind in the natural would light a candle and then put a a barrel over it. No, the purpose of the thing being lit in the first place is to give light to all that are in the room. Some of you went through 2020, and because you stared so long at news feeds, because you listened to all the caustic, conflicting, cultural chaos, you imbibed it. You didn't want to, you didn't know it was happening, but you woke up somewhere around May and you're afraid and you're edgy and you're hostile and you're going to war with your brothers and sisters that you're spending eternity with and you're going to war over them concerning their political beliefs. Yeah, I hear the groans. So Jeff, how'd you know that you weren't around? Everybody knew what was going on. I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the church. And and we imbibed what was going on. Do you know what happened? The glory of God from the church in most places went down. It was as if a barrel had been put over the flame that we are the light. And the Lord is calling us as we press into a new year to not let anything dim the light that we are. Isn't it amazing? Jesus declared of himself, I am the light of the world. Those that come to me will not walk in darkness. And here he is in Matthew 5, and he's saying, you are the light of the world. So you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth at work. You're the salt of the earth in your family. You're the salt of the earth in your school. You're the salt of the earth in your business, in your community. You're the salt of the earth. And by the way, again, the Greek indicates Jesus talking to his disciples, his followers. He says, only you. It doesn't come from anywhere else. There is no flavor of heaven except on the Christian. It literally doesn't exist anywhere else. There is no light of the glory of God except on the believer. It can't exist anywhere else. So Satan's strategy is to steal your flavor and to dim your light. And he does that primarily on the light dimming, not by snuffing you out physically, but by distracting you and getting that flame to flicker until the flame blows itself out. Friends, listen. Um, Christ didn't light us up just to blow us out. Christ didn't light us up so the devil could snuff us out. Christ didn't light us up so discouragement could, could put us out. And there is a season in which we have to take ownership of our own testimony, our own lives, our own consecration, our own illumination. And it's got to become a driving force within us to where we're looking like the sons of Issachar did in their day. We're looking at the culture and we say, that's straight out of the pit of hell. Listen, I, yeah, I'm not going to do that. It's good I've got a limit today because I had something. I'm going to put that one in my pocket and I'll pull it out in a couple of weeks. But there are so many things going on in the political realm, in the cultural realm, in, in the realm of entertainment. And the church has lost her Issachar eyes. The sons of Issachar knew what to do in their time. They discerned what was going on in Israel. The church is is losing that. And the Lord is saying, okay, Jeff, anybody can point that out. 
Son, what are you going to do about it in your own life? Newbridge IHOP, anybody can say, amen, the culture's jacked up, the political arena is jacked up, the world is evil, it's all in the Bible, Jeff, so what? The, the calling that we're looking at this morning is this, how can the salt get into the wound and bring some purifying? How can the light enter into the darkness and chase away the shadows? Because if we who are the light are operating with a dimmer down to about one, and we who are the salt have entered into a low-sodium posture in our approach to Jesus, then the world has no hope. So Jesus is their hope. Right, Jesus is coming back, and when he does, it's going to be too late for them to have hope. We are the hope right now. Why? Because we're the ambassadors of Christ. That is part of the reason why we must be consecrated. and We must be illuminated. Young people, you can determine if you're a young person or not. (laughs) I'm not. I used to be. Somebody asked recently, if you didn't know how old you are, how old would you be? And I said, I think I'd be about 30. It feels good. 50 is the new 30. Thank you, Dustin. He nodded. I'm going to say, Dustin told me that. 50 is the new 30. But young people, I want you to hear me on this. Um, We need your zeal in the church. We need your zeal, young people. God never looks for a moderate when he wants to bring about revival. You know why? Because the moderates will try to negotiate with God for a revival. The moderates will say, okay, Lord, what's the least we can do and still experience, at least on the weekends, the best that you have to offer? And God just says, "Uh, when you repent, we can pick this conversation back up. But for right now, don't disturb me because I'm going to look for a zealot. I'm going to look for somebody humble enough and zealous enough and foolish enough just to say no to the world, to bear the stigma of being salt and light in the world, and to press in for revival in a generation that needs it more than we ever have before. And a moderate church won't be used to usher in revival. Tamed programs, somebody got to help me this morning. Tamed programs, Sunday services will not usher in revival. Sweet little huddles of happy little verse tossing back and forth, not going to usher in revival. It's going to usher in revival. A group of zealots. And I'm saying, young people, we need your zeal. But hear me this, young people. You need our wisdom. The older need the zeal of the younger, and the younger need the wisdom of the older. And when we come together, guess what you got? You got some illuminated, salinated people of God. Last point. Jesus says that we're to be an elevated church. Don't rush to being elevated. Everybody wants to be elevated. Where's my platform? Where's my my time? Where's my 15 minutes? Because if you'll give me 15 minutes, I'll make it into 15 years. Just give me my moment. We're we're living in a a world that is addicted to, to elevation. But here's the thing that I want to tell you. The desire for elevation is not inconsistent with the heart of God. But there's a type of elevation that God will resist, and there's a type of elevation that God will initiate in your life. 
But if we try to initiate it apart from God, it's the kind of elevation that he resists. What am I talking about? Well, let, let me just go there for a moment. He says in verse number 14, you are the light of the world. By the way, I don't have time to unpack this, but he started out that you're, you're a light in a room and all that are in that house are benefited by that light. And then one verse later, a couple of verses later, he says, also, you're the light of the world. And then he uses this phrase about a city set on a hill can't be hidden. And he's speaking, of course, in metaphors. In ancient times, it was impossible either at night or in the daytime to hide a city that was set on a hill. During the day, you could see it with the natural eye. And in the evening, you would see the light from that city, sometimes in individual windows, sometimes just from the collective light coming off that city. If it was up on a hill, you couldn't miss it. And Jesus' point is this. I've made you light. Let's stick with the light metaphor there. I've made you light, and my intention is to elevate you. My intention is not to light you up and hide you. My intention is not for you to bask in your own glow. My intention is not for you to be sparsely used by slightly warming a few people to bring them from frozen to lukewarm. Jesus is not interested in preserving the status quo. Help me, Holy Spirit. He's not interested in it. I'm telling you, I feel this in my spirit. That literally, though he, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He will do this. He will leave you at the level of mediocrity if you want him to. He'll do it to an individual. He'll do it to a family. He'll do it to a church. He'll do it to a nation. He will leave you where you insist on being left. And so he's telling us here, not so many words, he's saying, I've made you a city, I've put you on a hill, I want that light to radiate into the darkness, and I want people to see you. There's a difference in us wanting to be elevated for ourselves. Jesus is saying here, and it's tied in, by the way, to the Beatitudes, and I don't have time to go into that. Matter of fact, worship team, if y'all just come on up, that'll help me quit. The, the, the reality is, is that Jesus said, I want you to let your good works be seen so that they'll glorify him, so that they'll glorify the Lord. You see, that's the difference. In a day of Instagram filters and Snapchat likes and Facebook friends and social media giving everybody the illusion of significance when they may or may not have any lasting significance. We live in this very shallow, superficial realm of elevation. I mean, I want you to think with me for a minute. There are people, not all of them young people, but there are people that are living for friend counts and follows and likes and shares because their lives are so devoid of city on the hill significance from God that they have to collect whatever elevation they can for a moment and gobble it down. And then they're hungry all over again at a deeper level. And what the Lord is saying to you is, no, 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 no. no. You're my salt. I'm actually going to deposit you into the world and you're going to make other people thirsty. You're my light. I'm going to deposit you in the world and all those that are groping in spiritual darkness are going to see you because I'm elevating you. I want you to think with me on this. It's God's desire to elevate you in your workplace. 
I'm not talking about your promotion, your paycheck per se. I'm talking about your influence. I'm talking about your testimony. I'm talking about you being salt and you being light and God using that. I was won to Jesus Christ by salt and light in the, in the form of a man named Scott who was my boss. And all Scott did was stay for two years really salty and really lit up in my life. And after two years, I'm like, he's got everything I want. I just don't want to get it the way he got it. I'm tired of trying to figure out how I can get that and bypass the one who gave it to him. So here I go. Jesus, here's my life. I surrender. My motivation was not to be elevated. My motivation in that moment was to be rescued from my sin. But I'm going to tell you something. Ever since then, this is what I felt. I felt the reality of Paul's word to the church at Corinth when he said, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. And I felt that so deeply in my soul that I say, okay, wherever we are, salt and light, and in order for that to be effective, the hand of God, he says this, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll go low before him, he'll get under you and raise you up when it's the right time. And I'm going to say this. We're going to be in a capsulized, intensified season. And the Lord is offering some of you at work, at school, among your peer groups, in your families, in this house, this spiritual family. The Lord is saying, I'm willing to elevate you, but not for your glory. You see, I'll, I'll close right, real close to right here. I walked out two nights ago. And I looked up, man, man, the moon was like, I can't, it was two, three nights ago. The moon was so full, I was hanging low. And it was lit up and it had a slight orange tint to it. And I just sat there and I looked at that. I'm thinking, look at the moonlight. And I hear the Holy Spirit whisper in my ear, not audibly, but you know how that works. He says, Jeff, the moon doesn't have any light. I'm, I'm looking at it. This is what I hear. Jeff, that moon shines with borrowed light. And that's us. We don't have any light of our own. We shine. We are illuminated with light that comes from somewhere else. The moon's light is actually the sun's light. But it shines, doesn't it? Where does the ultimate glory go? Not to the moon, to the sun. God doesn't mind for you to shine. God's not opposed to you being elevated. But God wants to make sure that those that he elevates have one thing for certain and they stay that way. It is all about him. Friends, if I make it all about me, you would be wisely right to condemn me as an arrogant, prideful, selfish, self-absorbed man. God is the only entity in existence that can say, everyone, angels, demons, uh, creatures of the earth, human beings, I want you to all know for all of eternity, I have made it all about me because I am worthy. And, and listen, back in the day, people would have been like, yeah! Nowadays, people are like, that doesn't sound right to me. Why? Because we've lost our flavor and we've dimmed our life. It's all about the glory of God. And friends, if we're going to enter into God's commitment to bring himself glory throughout the eternal ages, then we have to pursue these three things. To be a consecrated church, 
More, to, more about that to come. To be an illuminated church so that we can be an elevated church. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I don't want us to be moved by emotion. I want to appeal to your Holy Spirit-guided will. If you're sensing a desire in your heart, I'm not saying you know exactly how to do it or how it's all going to be worked out. I'm, I'm going to speak to your desire. If you, if you sense this pulling of God, of you, closer to Him, this beckoning, this wooing, this invitation, or maybe, for some of you, this urgency. And he's saying, this is your time to press in near. I want you to begin to do that. I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning. And in your own private moment of consecration, I'm going to invite you to whatever degree he's leading you to say, Lord, here is my life. Some of you have given the Lord 90% of your life. And that 10% is the difference between his purposes and your purpose. His glory and your glory. His power and your power. His source and your resource. For some of you, it's time to press into the place where you are going to lay aside some activities. I, I'm getting that micro. I'm not going to go on down a list, but I'm just telling you, I know for a fact how this works. He's doing it in my life. Some things that have always been a part of our lives. That in this season, he's saying, I'm actually not going to be able to let you take that into this next season. I'm going to let him fill in the list with that. But you need to be willing to release that. For some of you single people, I want you to hear me on this. This is not a word for married people. This is a word for single people. There are some romantic relationships that God's calling you to lay down today and walk away from. Because that thing, that person has become an idol in your heart that you're afraid you can't live with. Or excuse me, live without. For others, it's chasing the idol of money. For others, it is that very silly thing that I talked about, that basing your value on how many likes, follows, shares, and all of that nonsense, that's not you, that's not salt, that's not light, that's not elevation. It's a facade, and you were made for so much more significance than that. And some of you, you've been consecrated, you've been pouring in, you've been pressing in, you've been seeking the Lord, and I'm going to call you this morning to come and kneel in the deepest humility that you've ever had and say, Lord, if this is a season where you can entrust to me elevation, then I humbly say I'm willing to be elevated at work, at home, in the community, in my church, in a new ministry, whatever. This is your time to press in and say, God, 2020 was defined by externals, COVID, politics, chaos, protest, all of that stuff. It was defined by externals. God's saying 2021 is going to be defined for you by internals. Not the potency of what's going on on the outside of you, but the intensity of what's going on in the inside of you. And so I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to lead us. And for those of you that are, 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 are ready to go, you're free to go. God bless you on this first Sunday of the new year. But for the rest of us, let's take our time as we approach the Lord. And Billy and Dustin, Hazen, if y'all got anything you want to add, um, you can come on up. Let's pray. I'm just going to ask the Lord to 
forgive us, his people. Lord, forgive us for dialing down what it means to fully belong to you. Forgive us, Lord, for bargaining with you by excelling in one area of consecration and being negligent in another area. Forgive us for giving ourselves permission to indulge our flesh. And God, I'm asking you in mercy and grace and compassion because you've already said you know that we are dust. You know our weakness. You know our frame. You know how we rely and lean upon inferior things and commit ourselves to lesser loyalties. Lord, apart from condemnation, Lord, we say yes to you right now. We're asking you, Lord, to help us to know what it even means to be consecrated. Speak to us as individual sons and daughters. Lord, your word says that that salt will appear on what comes out of our mouth. Let our speech be always seasoned with salt. Consecrate our mouths for prayer and praise in the name of Jesus. Purge us of gossip that we tolerate, slander that we tolerate, innuendo that we tolerate, profanity that we tolerate. Purge us from the very base thing of profanity in the church, Lord. Let our mouths no longer give themselves to F-bombs, taking the name of the Lord in vain, using foul language. God, consecrate our mouths even. Consecrate our eyes, Lord. That we can say that we will not look upon worthless things. That the men will make a covenant of their eyes as Job did. Say, I will make a covenant not to look upon a woman. God, we consecrate the members of our body. We consecrate our affections. We make the commitment that you have to supply the power, Lord. We know you will honor our commitment with the power to perform that which we've released. God, let your light return. Let your illumination return to your people. I pray in the name of Jesus that the dimmer switches in our lives will be destroyed. And Lord, I'm asking you for those that are consecrated, that are pressing in and have been or seeking. Let this be the season, if it be your will, to begin to elevate them and let them know you're doing it. To the degree of our humility, let elevation come. Do not elevate us, Lord, above the level of our humility. And if we have elevated ourselves above the level of our humility, then bring down our artificial elevation. We cry out to you in the name of Jesus, for it is your glory, Father. It is your glory that we set ourselves for. So we commit ourselves therein. In Jesus' name, amen.